The Bible doesn't mince words. Believers are not to love the things of the world. But how literally should that be taken? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah continues his series in 1 John with biblical wisdom and practical advice to clear up the confusion over this frequently misunderstood instruction. To introduce today's eye-opening message, Loving the World, here's David. And today we look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And in this lesson, we're going to learn about the dangers of getting too friendly with the world. Actually, John puts it pretty straight to us. He says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if you love the world, it gets in the way of loving God. How many of you know that the world culture today is not God-friendly? I did a study on uh, socialism uh, at the end of the year, and a lot of people have thought that socialism was um, a teaching that there is no God, that it was atheistic, but that's not true. Socialists don't say there is no God. They just hate the God that is. In fact, uh, Karl Marx, who was the founder of this ideology, was known to be a cheerleader for the devil. You can't love God and love all the things that are in the world. You you can accept the things. You can enjoy the, the things that God provides. But sooner or later, you're going to have to make a choice as to where you put your energy, your emphasis, your resources, your influence, your life. And John is going to help us understand how to do that in these next two days from 1 John 2, 15 through 17. I want to tell you again about our resource for the month of December. It's a beautiful devotional book uh, called Every Day with Jesus. It takes you through the year. Every day of the year, there's a devotional. Every day. Uh, And I love this. It's a perennial devotional. By that, I mean it doesn't say 2022 on it. It just says December 1st, December 2nd, which means you can use it over again. A lot of our friends tell me I read it every year, and then I give it to my kids or I give it to my friend so that it keeps producing and giving uh, encouragement to people for many years ahead. This one this year is perhaps the most beautiful one we've ever done. We keep trying to outdo ourselves, and and I think we've done it. It's blue and tan, hand-stitched, silver letters embossed on the front of it. Um, and inside is this tremendous truth, and it's designed with color on almost every page. Friends, you don't want to miss this. This is the opportunity uh, to get this devotional and plan your life for the new year. When you send a gift of any size— Simply ask for your copy of Every Day with Jesus. And then let me remind you again that if you like giving these away to your friends, you can inquire about getting a bundle. You can get the bundle, but you need to go to davidjeremiah.org to get all the information about that. There you will find out how you can get maybe four or five of these, one for yourself and one to give to the people you love. It's a great Christmas gift, and we're delighted to make it available. Well, let's get going with part one of Loving the World. Here is what John has to say about that. Don and I both grew up in conservative churches. When I say conservative, I mean very conservative. We were conservative in every way you could be conservative. Theologically, and we were especially known for being conservative as far as lifestyle is concerned. Looking back on what I know now, there were some of the days, at least in my early experience, where I wasn't just conservative, I was a classic legalist. Because I was made to believe, whether intentionally or not, 
that your Christianity was measured by a list of certain things you did and certain things you did not do. The do's and the don'ts. And especially was the emphasis placed upon the things you don't do. We had our filthy five and our nasty nine and our dirty dozen, and you better not be doing any of them. You know what I mean? (laughs) And they basically were used to gauge whether or not a person was spiritual or whether or not they were really walking with the Lord. And in many respects, and in some cases, those things were the natural outgrowth of their walk with the Lord, and they were a testimony to their faith. But as I began to grow up and understand this more, I realized that in many cases there were people who kept all of the rules of what you should do and pretty much stayed away from all the rules of what you shouldn't do, and they were just not very nice people anyway. They were ornery, mean-spirited, and while they weren't committing the sins of the flesh, they were overwhelmingly committing the sins of the spirit. And it became apparent to me along the way that it is not possible to gauge the Christian life on the basis of the do's and the don'ts. Now, I don't have any intention today to go down the list of all those things and make any comments about them. It's not my purpose to do that. But what I want you to understand is this. The Christian life cannot be lived from the outside in. The Christian life is lived from the inside out. And who we are and what we do comes as the result of where we are in our walk with God and in our love relationship with him. And those things which we abstain from, we abstain from because we realize that they get in our way in our walk of purity with the Lord. And we do it out of love for the Lord, not in order to meet someone's external code. Now, when you have an organization like a school or a college, it becomes necessary for you to sometimes put together some rules for the greater testimony of the school. But I'm talking here about our own personal walk with the Lord and how we gauge whether or not we are growing in our relationship with him. We talked about the importance of spiritual growth and we discussed the fact that we start out all of us as children in the faith. And then if we walk with the Lord and we grow, we end up becoming young men, young strong men or women in the ministry. And then ultimately as we go on with the Lord, hopefully as we walk with him, we become experienced fathers and we look back over our lives at a life that's been lived with the Lord and is filled with maturity and joy. All of us here, every one of us, want to be Christians who are growing. I doubt if I could find one person here who has as their goal not ever to grow anymore in their walk with the Lord, just to stay where they are and not ever mature. To mature spiritually should be the goal of every single Christian. And let me say something to you today that's a great encouragement to you, to me, and I hope it will be to you. If you have a dissatisfaction with where you are in your walk with God, that's a good sign. Did you know that Jesus once said this? He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's interesting that in that passage, he didn't say blessed are those who are righteous, although that's a true statement. What Jesus said was, blessed are those who have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. So I think I can say to you today, if you have kind of an inner gnawing in your soul to be going on with the Lord beyond where you are now and to be growing with him and sort of an unhappiness about some of the things where you are now, do you want to get beyond that and go on with the Lord? That's a healthy sign. That's a good sign that you're a Christian because God puts within us that hunger and thirst for righteousness When Jesus Christ becomes our Savior, that is something we should take 
satisfaction in that we have a spiritual hunger in our life? Why is it that we all agree about the importance of spiritual growth and at the same time seem to get stalled so often in the process? Well, the Apostle John is going to give us the answer to that question. That your love for God is under attack. (laughs) What if I told you that a strategy has been created whose only purpose is to derail you from your walk with God as a Christian? What if I told you that that strategy was in the Bible and what if I showed you how to overcome it? Would you stay? Well, please don't leave. I don't want anybody to leave. But I want you to understand how important this message is. John begins the 15th verse with these words. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Now, what does he mean? That can be a very confusing thought. And I need to tell you, a lot of things have been preached on under the banner of this verse that don't have anything to do with the verse. Love not the world. What is the world? Doesn't the Bible tell us that God loved the world? If God loved the world, how can it be so bad for us to love the world? Well, it's really important that you put on your thinking cap with me because in the New Testament, the word world is used in three different ways. And I want to show you those ways so we can zero in on what John is talking about here and unpack these truths from the 15th to the 17th verse. There is a sense in which this term world is used to describe the universe in which we live. The world that you see, the sun, the stars, the moon, the creation of God. There is a verse of scripture in the book of Acts that says, God made the world and everything in it. Surely John is not telling us here, don't love the world of creation. God gave us this world to enjoy. We live in the created world of Almighty God and we revel in the beauty and majesty of God's creative tasks. There's another way in which that term is used, and that is sometimes the word world is used to describe the world of men. And that's the way it's used in John 3, 16 and 17, where we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. World of what? The world of men and women. God sent his son into this world so that the men and women in the world would hear of his love and that men and women would confess Christ and be saved. So we've got two uses of this word now. One time it might be used to describe the world that God created. And another time it might be used to describe the world of men and women, the people who live in the world. But the third occasion and use of this term is what John is talking about here in 1 John 2, 15 to 17. And that is what we might call the world system. The system of this world as it operates today. John is reminding us that there is a system that operates around us called the world system. And that system, that scheme of things is not aligned with God, but aligned with Satan. To John, the world was nothing other than pagan society with all of its false values and all of its false standards and all of its false gods. When John tells us not to love the world, he's saying to us, don't love the system of the world, the things that are involved in the system of this world that are under the authority of the evil one. Now, let me take you through some scriptures that will help us get a handle on this truth as we move through this passage. The world system, 
this cosmos, this world system is operated by Satan. Did you know that? Who's running the world today? Not God. The world is run by Satan. One day God will take it back and the kingdom will be set up. If God's running this world, I'm a little disappointed in God, aren't you? God didn't run in this world. The world is being operated by the prince of the power of the air. And in 1 John 5, 19, right here in this same book we read, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Who's the wicked one? That's Satan. So this world system is operated under the leadership and the direction of the evil one, of Satan. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says, But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now watch this. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Who's the God of this age? That's Satan. So the world system is operated by Satan. The second thing you need to know about this world that John is talking about is that the world system is opposed to Jesus Christ and to Christianity. Satan is the arch enemy of God and especially of Jesus Christ who overcame Satan at the cross. Here's something we really need to get a grip on here as believers in this particular time in history. The world system is opposed to Christ and to Christianity. You say, Pastor Jeremiah, where do you get that information? Well, once again, right here in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, just look over on that page and it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, watch this, the world does not know us because it did not know him. 1 John 3.13 says, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. John 15.18 and 19 says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. John 17, 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. The world system is in total opposition to Jesus Christ and to Christianity. Let me ask you a question. Why is it that there is a tremendous amount of toleration for all of the other religions that you know about in the world and absolutely no toleration for Christianity. Christianity is the most loving, benevolent faith that you can ever know. It has been responsible for most all of the good that has happened in our culture. And yet, you can get anything for any other religion in the world unless it's Christianity. And when it comes to Christianity, there is zero toleration. For it. If you love Jesus Christ, you have declared yourself an enemy, and that enemy is nothing other than Satan. And the world is run by Satan, and the world has nothing. You know, we understand that now, don't we? The Bible says if they didn't love Jesus, why would they love you? If they hated him, why wouldn't they hate you? He brought you out of the world, and the world hates you. That's what he's saying. And you see, the world system men and women, is nothing other than what we were before we became Christians. When I say the world is the world system, you all look at me with kind of a blank stare, but all I got to do is say, you want to know what the world system is? That's exactly what you were like before Jesus got a hold of you. That was the world system. And if you don't believe that, listen to these words from Ephesians. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins 
in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the spirit of disobedience, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. So we don't have any right to get high and holy about all this because this world system we're talking about is what most of us lived in before Jesus got a hold of us and saved us and forgave us. So what is the world system? It is in opposition to God. It is opposition to Christ. It is in opposition to Christianity. It is run by Satan. It is everything that is antithetic to what we are as believers. And that's what John is meaning when he says, don't love the world. Don't love the world system. Now, he's going to give us three reasons why loving the world system is destructive to our relationship with Almighty God and why it short circuits our growth. First and foremost, number one, loving the world destroys your fellowship with God, destroys our fellowship with God. First John 2.15 says, do not love the world, the world system, or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, watch this, the love of the Father is not in him. When Jesus told the story on one occasion of the sower and the seed, you remember that story in Matthew 13, and he said a sower went out and he threw seed on the ground, and then Jesus described four different kinds of soils that the seed fell on. And Jesus said that some of the seed that was sown, which the seed is the word of God, was sown on stony ground, some of it was sown among thorns. And later on in the 13th chapter of Matthew, Jesus tells us what the thorns were. And I want to read to you from Matthew 13, 22. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. James 4, 4 says it this way. Let me explain to you before we read this verse that what John is saying is that love for God and love for the world are mutually exclusive. You can't have both. And listen to James 4. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is what? Enmity with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world system makes himself an enemy of God. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Paul wrote to Timothy in the book 1 Timothy, and he said that in the last days men would be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Are we in that day? And one time Paul wrote about a young man who was on his minister's team who traveled with him around in missions work, and he was one of Paul's faithful helpers. His name was Demas, and along the way, Demas, he bolted on Paul. He left. He quit. And Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4.10, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. You see what happened? Demas got his heart back into the world, and it made it impossible for him to go on serving God. So loving the world denies our fellowship with God. The Bible says you can't love the world and love God at the same time. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Loving the world will squeeze out, it will choke out your love for God. Are we with that? Everybody with me? Okay, here's the second one. Loving the world denies our faith in God. 1 John 2, 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, in order to illustrate the things of the world, John gives us three things to consider, and these are pretty famous thoughts. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Now, first of all, let me neutralize the word lust. 
Every time you hear that word in our culture today, it always means one thing. It means sexual immorality or sexual looseness or whatever. But the word lust here doesn't mean that necessarily. It's just a word for desire. You could put the word desire in the place of lust and it would be pretty close. The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. And he's going to use these three terms to help us understand how the world works. But more than that, to help us understand how Satan uses the world to destroy our walk with God. Now let's first of all take a look briefly at these three terms and make sure we know what they mean. And then we'll go into the strategy just a little bit. First of all, the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is the inward part of temptation. It is inwardly wanting your own way. It's your inward desires. Ray Stedman wrote a paragraph about it that's about as crystal clear as I can read. He goes like this. God has so made our bodies that they hunger for food in order to maintain life. This is as it should be. But the flesh goes beyond and it craves special foods and delicacies and it urges us to gluttony. It demands the best. This is what John is speaking of. God has made us to have the need of shelter as human beings. But the flesh demands that it be luxurious shelter. There is a constant craving for ease and luxury. This is the lust of the flesh. God gives us the wonderful function of sex, which produces the most enjoyable sensation the body can experience. But the flesh wants to indulge this gift in any direction at any given time without any restriction. This is the lust of the flesh. So the lust of the flesh are those inward desires that we all have. When we yield to the lust of the flesh, we take all of the governors off of that and we just allow the lust of the flesh to drive us any direction it would go. That's how the world works. The world says, if it feels good, do it. That's the world system. No restrictions whatsoever. Then there's the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes are temptations that come to us from outside of our body. Wanting everything for ourselves. This is the tendency to be captivated by the outward show of things without understanding their real values. It results in runaway extravagance. It's the desire for more when more may not even be necessary. It's the desire for things we do not need, bought with money we do not have in order to impress people we don't even like. That's what it is. And then there's the pride of life. The pride of life is a little more sinister than the other two. And and all of us here at one time or another have had to deal with this in our own life. The pride of life is wanting to appear important. (laughs) This has to do with the desire to be noticed. To be driven by our egos. To be important. Barclay says it is the desire to impress everyone we meet with our own non-existent importance. It is arrogance associated with wealth sometimes or position sometimes. It's the desire to create envy and jealousy in the hearts of other people. So that we do not buy that new car because it's the car we really want. But we buy that new car because we know that's the car that's going to make our neighbors down the street really look at us with envy and jealousy. And when we back it out of the driveway, it's not that we're excited about having this new car. We could be happy with any number of cars. But oh, what a rush it is to see them looking out of their blinds at our new car as we go down the street. We use that to give envy and jealousy to others. That's what the pride of life is. Hey, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? (laughs) 
you, you may be sitting there in silence and thinking about how that applies to somebody else, but in a way, it applies to all of us. We've all done that. We've all been guilty of that. And uh, the Bible says that we should not care so much about what other people think and care a lot more about what our Lord thinks. Live our lives in such a way that it pleases Him. And He is he's made to smile when He sees the way we live. Well, tomorrow we'll finish up this passage from 1 John chapter 2. We'll conclude the week with uh, part two of Loving the World. Don't forget you can get a study guide for this series. I think you might want to do this. Maybe have a small group study on 1 John. It's an easy book to study, and it's really relevant to today. The study guide can be placed in the hand of every person in your small group. You can get the CDs and listen to the lessons. Go in there prepared to facilitate a great discussion on the Word of God from 1 John. Don't forget to join us tomorrow for the Friday edition of Turning Point as we conclude our discussion of loving the world. Thanks for listening. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Living in the Light, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new 365-day devotional for 2022, Every Day with Jesus. It's filled with daily encouragement for 2022, and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International and New King James versions with helpful notes and articles from decades of study by Dr. Jeremiah. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Living in the Light, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Introducing Dr. David Jeremiah's new 365-day devotional, Every Day with Jesus. Inside this beautiful leather-soft volume, you'll find 365 daily inspirational readings from Dr. David Jeremiah, paired with selected scripture to challenge and encourage you in your walk with God. Every Day with Jesus is yours this month in appreciation for your gift of any amount in support of this program. And when you give a generous year-end gift of $120 or more, Dr. David Jeremiah will thank you with four copies of Every Day with Jesus, one to keep and three to share with others. Let this daily devotional inspire you in the coming year to live every single day with Jesus, for Jesus, and like Jesus. Request yours at davidjeremiah.ca today. That's davidjeremiah.ca. And thanks to a generous giving challenge through the end of the month, all gifts to the ministry are effectively doubled up to $200,000. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. The book of Proverbs says that a whisperer, someone who spreads secrets, separates the best of friends. That reminds me of something I heard about the two kinds of secrets. One kind is not worth keeping and the other kind is too good to keep. 
The kinds of secrets not worth keeping, like gossip, criticisms, and rumors, should be ignored and forgotten. The kinds of secrets too good to keep, praises, congratulations, commendations, and especially the good news of the gospel of Christ, should be shared readily. The key is having the discipline and courage to forget the one and broadcast the other. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover what God has revealed to us on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.